0: Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. Pastor Lisa and myself had the uh, privilege of meeting their acquaintance several years ago as they came to North Carolina as the pastors first of First Assembly of God in Concord, North Carolina and did amazing things through the ministry there and led that church through uh, great transformation and impact in that city and uh, it's just been a pleasure to get to know them through the years and I don't know if they have ever thought of us as protégés but they have certainly served in the capacity of mentors to us and uh, as we have looked up to them with great respect and admiration and what God has done through their ministries and their lives and it's almost at the same time as Lisa and myself came into the office here at Faith Assembly they transitioned to a new role here in the North Carolina district as the district superintendents of the North Carolina Assemblies of God. So, would you put your hands together this morning and give a great big faith assembly welcome to my friends, our pastors, Rick and Susan Ross. Would you help me welcome them this morning?
1: Thank you so much. It is wonderful to be with you here this weekend at Faith Assembly. I want to thank you that out of the 275 churches in the North Carolina Assemblies of God, Faith Assembly is really a leading church. And I am so thankful for your involvement. with other churches around the state. It's great that yesterday you opened up the doors with the warm welcome. So many beautiful volunteers from this church came out as we welcomed uh, pastors and leadership teams from all over Eastern Carolina. They were here in the building yesterday, and you welcomed us warmly. I want to thank the Evans for always being willing to open up and share what God has blessed you with as a resource to many other churches who you're, you're pulling up just by your very, uh, the way you do church, the way you do life, and we just want to thank you. I want to thank you, Pastor Steve and Pastor Lisa, for being great leaders. Yeah. And I watch I watched Pastor Lisa on social media and the way that she pours into women. Come on, girls. Awesome. And I've been a part of your gather conferences before, and I just want to say it feels like home this morning to be with you and to worship with this awesome, awesome worship team. And I just thank you for the honor of being with you today.
2: This is the day the Lord has made, and I will. I'm not rejoicing whoever came up with this hour time change. (laughs) Should have passed out a little bit extra caffeine coming in here this morning. But I'm telling you that worship took care of all my needs as we had this whole process. Pastor Steve and Lisa, thank you very much for this honor. We love you guys. And um, been here about uh, 17 years now watching and it's amazing what God does. In a moment, I'm gonna begin my message, but let me give a precursor. It's very clear in my my spirit today that God is, has and is doing something very special at Faith Assembly. Now, don't don't take it lightly, because the Bible and the word I have for you today is based on this, this belief. To him who has been given much, To not understand and put into practice an anointing, a regional anointing, is to do disservice of what this church stands for. And your pastors are leading you to continue to have eyes and a heart that is bigger than this church. Acts chapters one and two tells the story of Pentecost. We, we know it well in the Assemblies of God. And we can quote Acts two, four, and, and they spoke with other tongues as the But friends, if we're not careful, as Pentecostals, will reduce Pentecost to Acts chapter two and forget that the reason for Pentecost is found in Acts chapter one, verse eight, that says, and you will receive power. Pentecost isn't for the gifts. Gifts are an offshoot. Pentecost came to give us power to be led by the Spirit, lived by the Spirit, and understand that the Spirit is with us every day of our life. And when you receive Jesus as Savior, the Bible says you receive the gift and the person of the Holy Spirit. You didn't receive half of them, you received the person, and he's wanting to do something. Acts 1 and 2 basically says this in the Ross mentality. The Holy Spirit that came to make us better. Being filled with Jesus and the Holy Spirit means I'm a better husband. Men. Being filled with Jesus and the Holy Spirit means you are a better wife, ladies. Better parents. Better kids. Better students. Better followers. Better workers. We should set the standard for life in every area of this place in which we live because we have the Spirit living within us. And sometimes we disconnect from what God wants to do following Acts 1 and 2. But in Acts chapter 3, which is where my, in my text today, we now move into a place of actual normal living following the day of Pentecost. And I have entitled this message very simply, living naturally, supernatural. Father, help us in the next several moments we have together as we already have been helped and blessed by you to grab hold of some truths. I cannot do adequate to the power of the message in my spirit, but I can pray that you not only help my words but you will do the miracle of revelation and let those who have a willing ear hear what the Spirit is saying. That we will hear something today even if it doesn't come out of my mouth because you are in this midst. You have a word for faith assembly. And I'm praying that we are able to proclaim it in a prophetic fashion. That you will be glorified and this church will be multiplied. In Jesus' name, amen. I love this passage. Put it up there for me, friends. I'm going to do it all differently. And if they're anywhere close with their with their following me, it's miraculous because I have no idea which way I'm going, but we have something to begin with and we'll go wherever we want to go. Acts chapter 3, give me verses 1 and 2 if you would, please. One day. Say one day. What day? It's not the Sabbath. It's not Easter. One day. One ordinary day. Do you understand that most of our life is an ordinary day? Most of us live... Rightfully so. We could not handle if every day was new and creative. I mean, we, our minds, our spirits, I have to live by my calendar. I have to have some sort of routine that helps me. Or I, I, you know, you just go and one day. But the problem with living one day at a time is pretty soon one day's is rolling to another day. And we, we lose an expectation that this is the day that God wants to do something very special. Right. But I want you to see in this passage as we go along through here that it's not a very special day. This is the day that Peter and John were going to the temple at noon. Notice these next words. uh, Or at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. This was their normal activity. Something happened on the day of Pentecost. That caused the believers to have a new anticipation. And they began to develop some disciplines in their life. The discipline of daily prayer. Society has changed. We can't come to here every day at three o'clock. I understand that work and school and environment. But we can have an attitude and a discipline and where we put God first in our life. It shows up different ways. Let me tell you a true story. It was probably 20 some years ago. We were pastoring in Seattle. And we were having our Friday night family night of games and popcorn and, and those kind of a things. Susan and I have two kids, Derek and Carissa. And Carissa was in junior high at that time. Derek was in high school. And it was coming about 10 o'clock at night, my normal getting ready to shut down. But, but we were having fun, so I'm going to suck it up there and keep on going. But Carissa, our youngest, the junior high, kind of said, hey, I need, to, I need to shut this down. I need to go to my room. And I, I was feeling a little, little bit of, uh, of self there. And I said, oh, you big party pooper. Come on, you can't keep up with the old man. And, and she said, no, dad, it has nothing to do with that. But she said it was on a date, which I calculated 530 some days ago. Her youth pastor, Jeffrey Portman, had challenged her and the whole youth group to discipline themselves to have a time with God alone every day. And she signed a covenant piece of paper that many of us have signed and forgotten all about. But she wouldn't forget. And she excused herself because she said, if I don't go, I'll miss the first day in 539 days of a personal time with God. Now, as a dad, I was pretty proud of that moment, but as the lead pastor of a very large church in Seattle, I got a little convicted because I could not say on that night that I had not missed a day in the last 539 of personal devotions. Oh, I've done a lot of sermon prep. I've done a lot of things to, to, to teach the word, but we're talking about a personal time alone. The Bible speaks of the Closet, the chambers, the time in which we get away. You see, it's in those personal daily times of discipline that God begins to build something in us so that when our one day comes, we're ready to give. Can I tell you that from that little junior high girl, this dad, this pastor was so motivated that now for 20 years, there has not been one day that I have not started with the word of God. It could have been as little as three or four verses to as much as multiple chapters of reading a whole book. But every day I made that decision. Why? Because I want to be ready when the one day comes that God says, I've got to have something in you so that I can get it out of you. I'm ready to go. I'm telling you, a disciplined life of prayer is the sign that God is, that God is ready to use you. Let's keep on reading. Now, a man who was lame from birth. What was he? Born lame. Which means he never walked you with me doing my study we can't prove this but we believe he's in his mid-20s let's just say he's 25 years old that means he lived over nine thousand days and he had never walked now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called beautiful where he was put when every day i want you to notice something in a moment in the spiritual realm peter's one day is going to match this lame man's every day and a catastrophic is about to happen For over 9,000 days, someone helped this lame man by picking him up and carrying him to the temple gate. Because he, what? Never walked. We're in a great season of our life. We're grandparents. How many grandparents in the room? You see, let me remind you, grandparents is God's reward for not killing your kids when they were teenagers. I also remind you, grandparents, that um, they may be the ones taking care of us when we're back in diapers, so treat them well. <laughs> in this season of our life when we're traveling and away from the house so much, there was many times I would be home one or two days. I counted six weeks in a row that I was home less than three days on the whole time. And, and so we've asked our kids, our daughter and son-in-law to move in with us. And they've had a baby since then. And I, I, I've been able to see my little granddaughter and my fourth grandchild. And, and uh, as she's been growing up, as I did the first three when they lived near us. And, and it's been just an amazing time. And one day she was, she, was, she was a little bit over a year old and I decided it's time for her to walk. You know, I'm always pushing and, and never happy with where they are. There's always going to be something better because, you know, I, I have a philosophy of life. If you're going to keep score, why not be first? So I said, I'm going to be the first one to see this little girl walk. So I worked all day with her. Let go, baby. Come on. She never did, but she took one step as she was falling, and I called that walk, and I tweeted it all out. It was all over social media. I was there when she took her first step. But the very next weekend, while we were out traveling, her dad, Seth, was with her and videoed her real first three steps. And can I tell you that for a moment I was ticked? (laughs) Because I wasn't there to see her first steps. This lame man's mom and dad never saw him take his first steps. This lame man never hit a ball down the third base line and was able to run from home and take that cut in the corner of first base and sliding head first and second and jumping up. And this lame man was never able to serve his country as our two friends are today. This man never was able to walk in from the side as he watched his bride come down the aisle. He never, ever walked. While a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple cake called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those. And that day, the only way he could eat was him to go out and beg for food. How many of you have multiple occasions coming down the highway at a stoplight off a a highway coming off the exit seeing a man or woman with a cardboard sign begging. Most of the time probably you're like me and you don't even give them your attention because there's something within us that says if I don't make eye contact then it doesn't really exist. While I was here I was driving alone and you got sideways in your great community, you're just driving, praying over this. And a unique man, it's just a unique only in that it caught my attention. And, and he had a little sign there, and everybody was blowing by him. Maybe it's because I knew I was preaching this message, maybe it was because just it was God wasn't going to see if I was going to actually respond this time or not. But I I'd stopped and rolled down my window. And... Pulled off to the side so I could do that. And reached in and took a $10 bill. Don't know if I've ever done it before. A $10 bill. And said, sir, I'm praying God blesses you today. Just a little opportunity to do something to touch someone. Because you never know when you're that one person who does something little in someone's life that gives them a little bit of a hope. You see, isn't that the picture of the church today? We are God's people who have everything we need and we're surrounded with world that is hurting. see, that's why your pastors are trying to help us understand that unless we have an outward look, we'll never be the church that God wants us to be because he never puts things in us to keep it there. It's always a pass through mentality. There are two seas in Israel. There's the Sea of Galilee that is streaming with life. I floated the Sea of Galilee. And right by it is the Dead Sea that has no life whatsoever. I bobbed up and down on the Dead Sea. I did a little bit of studying. The same water comes into both of them. The only difference between the sea, the main difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea is the Dead Sea has no outlet. And the Sea of Galilee has... Rivers that flow out and it keeps the light. Something happens when you get something. God will bless you if he knows he can get it through you. Let's keep going. Let's go on down to the verse three. And so there he goes. He's now begging. You got the picture he's begging. Peter and John are walking. When he saw Peter and John, I think he heard them first he has been there for 9,000 days. He's been there every day. Peter and John have gone to the temple gate almost, temple to pray almost every day. He, he heard about Pentecost a year, a year earlier. He, he knew all these things. And, and, and I'm sure Peter and John have passed him by hundreds of times, like I have passed by hundreds of people who've been begging him. But this day was different. And the man saw him about to enter. And so he decides today I'm going to ask for money. Here's my picture. Here's the lame man who noticed they were coming in in his humility and maybe even embarrassment that he's still there, his head bows and he puts his hands up as we've seen beggars do. Alms, alms for the poor. The miracle's about to happen. Peter looks straight at him as did John and Peter says these words, look at me! Now, I didn't have to say that because you were already looking at me. When do you say to your kids, look at me, when you need their full attention? My picture is next to ADHD in the dictionary. And back then, in the old days, my elementary teachers didn't understand it, and I spent three years in the corner or in the closet. They didn't realize that when they put me in the, in the corner, it had the big window, the playground, and I had all kinds of great things. Yeah, I got in trouble every day for daydreaming and talking too much. Now they pay me big bucks to dream and have visions and communicate God's words. So be careful, parents, when you stifle your little kids. You don't know what God is doing, but something's in there. All of a sudden, we had this moment, and his head is down, and he asked him from, and, and Peter's at this moment, he says, Look at me. And the man, lame man, I love this, looked at him, expecting to get something from him. Expectancy matters. Something begins to happen when you have a spirit of expectancy. When you wake up on a Sunday morning and you're not saying, I'm just got to go to church. You begin to say, I get to go. I'm going to move to the place where God can have something supernatural fall out of heaven. It may not even be his full intent to bless me today. But when I'm in the right place, blessings begin to happen. Good things happen when you're in the right places. I love this. Peter and John looked at him, and the lame man. Looked. Okay, you're all the lame man right now. Okay, so put your heads down, put your hands up. You're ready to receive, and i now saying to you, just as I would. Go, just one hand out to receive, open hand. Not, not praising God. Come on, you want to put me. You if, if your hands done the wrong direction, you can't hold on to what I'm putting there. You want to receive a bit. Now you're looking at me. Look at me. You're expecting to receive, and now my next words to you are, I got you. Thanks for responding, sir, but I'm sorry, I have nothing. Silver and gold, have I none. Which is modern day for, gotcha, ain't got nothing. Now you're in church, sir, and you're a believer, I can tell, so be careful how you answer this. But what do you think came through that man—that lame man's mind when he had his expectations raised and the man said, I got nothing? Sad? That's very nice. I think it was worse. Mad, now you're getting closer. If he wasn't born again, how many think maybe a word came into his head? You with me? See, we read the Bible sometimes as if it's a make-believe story. It's real. This really happened. There really was a lame man who had nothing. There really was a man named Peter who had all power of God in his midst. And at this moment when all heaven is about to break loose... The lame man had a moment to decide whether he was going to believe or give it up. Sorry, nothing. I can see in my spirit, I can't prove it, but I can see in my spirit, the man's hand coming down and his head dropping and disappointment grabs him once again. Again, the church had the opportunity and missed it, he's thinking. Why is it that 85% of churches in America plateaued or declining because people have come to receive and they've had nothing to give we fight and argue over the stupidest things I'm not supposed to say that word baby I'm sorry silliest things but they are stupid we fought over everything there is to fight over whether there should be an organ and piano now we don't even have pianos there's keyboards we have lights, we have, we have everything, and some of us are just saying, but that's not the way it was. You know why it's not the way it was? Because God's a God of now. He's a God of creation, He's a God of new things. Don't go back, go forward, move. I love it. It's new territory. Joshua chapter one. Right. Every place you put your foot. That's right. Yes. But you've never do. If you never go anywhere you've never been, you'll never see anything you've never seen. Come on. Some of our spiritual lives are no different than some of our. Have you ever gotten up and you've gone to work, you've gone someplace, and you stop and say, How did I get there? I don't even remember the. We go through roteness. It happens in churches. Oh, we don't print our order of services for everybody to see, but we got them. Things haven't changed in 32 years. That's not this message, but it's for somebody. Here we go, back to the scripture. Silver and gold. Put your hand back out, you're my man, I like it. So you drop your head, but here I say, but what I have, and now what do you do? Look it up, I'm gonna give to you. See, everyone has something. The problem with us today as individuals and as churches is that we don't realize that the little bit that we think is insignificant is powerful in the hands of Jesus. Let me give you a couple stories to help you understand this principle. The Old Testament, Elisha, 2 Kings, RIV, Ross International Version. He's walking with his college students. That's how they had college back then. They would leave everything and follow the prophet. And that's what Jesus did with the 12 disciples. And they followed them. And they would learn. And he would teach. And he's got his prophets. And and they're all walking along. And they're down and, 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 and moving along. And all of a sudden, the Bible says, A widow of one of the prophets. A preacher's wife widow. Make sure you understand this is real. Begins to yell in public. To Prophet Elisha, and she says, Hey, man of God, where did you go when my husband died? He followed you, he preached the gospel. Everybody said that God would take care of us, and when he died, you all left me alone with my two boys, and the debtors or the the creditors are coming to take my boys and put them in slavery because I can't pay my bill. Real story, real life. Again, application. Are we ready to help those that God has called us to help? But it's not the story, the main story. So, Elisha now is a preacher that could have excused all the reasons he was too busy to help her, and it would have been true. We're busy. We have all we need to do, Pastor. But this time, something clicked in his spirit, and he says, "It's not in the Bible," but he says to his stuff, "She's right." And he stops and he says, guys, we have to deal with this. And he walks over to her and I could see that his eyes, he said, ma'am, I'm sorry. And he asked this question, what do you have in your house? Now, analyze that question. Isn't that one of the most ridiculous questions you've ever heard? What does she have? She's destitute. They're coming to take her boys. If she had something worthwhile, she would have already sold it and spent it. And she says, like all of us, nothing. But being a preacher's wife, she knew she couldn't fully lie. And she remembered at that moment, except a little bit of oil. But what good is that when my debts are so huge? See how God's setting it up? And the man of God speaking for God says go get empty vessels (laughs) again the dumbest business plan in the world to get something you don't get nothing he should have said go to your neighbors and see if they had any extra oil and if everybody gives a little bit of their extra maybe you'd have enough to survive right doesn't that make sense Isn't that human understanding? Everybody give a little bit, we we preach that. Equal sacrifice, not all that kind of stuff. It sounds really good until we realize that's not what God's saying. He doesn't want our leftovers. And so he could prove the power and the glory of God. They collect empty vessels. Little boy knocks on the door next door. You know, we're in trouble. Prophets come, I know it makes no sense. Can I have any empty jars? Are you sure, son? I got a little extra over here. I can give it to you. No, ma'am. I just want your empty vessels. They bring them to the house. And the widow has to make a decision. Do I trust this man, God, or not? And with empty jars, we believe they're 20 gallons a piece. She begins to pour her little oil. And to her amazement, it fills up the 20 gallon jar. Boys, look at this. Mama, what are you gonna do? I don't know, I'm afraid if I, if I stop pouring to go the next one, it may not go again. I'll tell you, whoop. <laughs> fills up the second one, whoop. Whoop. She just keeps it going. You know how you, you do once in a while, you don't wanna stop it. Until the last one, boys, get some more. She said, boys say, we got every empty jar in the city. And the Bible says at that, that moment, the oil stopped. And the prophet says, sell the oil, pay your bills, give glory to God. What's in your house? What's in your house? Oh, I don't have you all, so let me give you another story. It's my favorite story in the Bible. It's Jesus and the multitudes. He's out teaching and the crowds began to come. And the Bible says that pretty soon 5,000 men plus women and boys, kids, showed up. Man, that's over 20,000. They're everywhere. I've been in Israel. I've been to the where they said it could have happened where he's on there in the hillside. And, there's, and it's just mammoth and rocks and... And Jesus and the disciples said, "Jesus, they're tired. They're hungry. They're about to be hangry. Have you ever been hangry? You've been hungry, and that's my. my, When I tell Susan I'm hangry, she stops. Jesus, we need to take care of them. And Jesus, of course, of course, of course, go buy them dinner. And they laughed. Jesus, we're in the desert. There are no McDonald's out here. There's no fish sandwiches that we can feed these. What is the matter?" And if there were, Jesus, we got nothing. Taking years of our wages to buy for this. It's impossible. Jesus, the Bible said, knowing what he had in mind, a spirit idea. Let's tell you what you do. You put the people in, in, in groups and you go out and ask if there's any food. So the disciples have this miracle of management and everybody gets organized. You can see them in rows, just like pews and chairs, and it's aisles. And the disciples begin to go and they begin to look up and down. And I can see Peter, You got anything for Jesus? And then John comes by, Do you have anything for Jesus? Finally, Andrew, the bringer. He has a unique personality. You just can't say no. Everybody G- Andrew talked to came, followed, went back. He's a bringer. And Andrew says to the little boy, do you have something for Jesus? And he just simply says, no, you're still hiding it. Put it in your, Yes, I do. Come with me. Now, he's too big and all that. This is the little boy in a moment. There you go. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So, so, so this, this little boy be little again. And Jesus says, I, I'm going to do something with you today. And Jesus getting down on his level, because Jesus always goes to where you are. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to get right with God. Come to him just the way you are. Right, with all your needs and all your mess and all your failings. and See, he, he stooped earlier when he washed the disciples' feet. And he'll stoop for you and me because he understands what real love is all about. And he says, son, I'm so proud of you. Have you got something for, for me, for God? And at that moment, the little boy opens his tunic that he's been hiding this little lunch that his mama had packed. See, he's a little chubby Israeli boy because mama never let him go out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> mama never let that boy go outside without a lunch. And so he, but he said, Jesus, I looked around. I knew I had a little lunch, but if I give this away, there won't be enough to anything come back to me. And isn't that our, isn't that our fear? That if we give what we have, there won't be enough left. As if we serve a God of the stingy. Bible says he took the little boy's lunch. Five loaves, two fishes. Two and a half fish sandwiches. Raise it to the heavens and say, God, do it again. Show yourself. All powerful, loving, and kind, and good. And he begins to break the bread and the fish and he gives it to the disciples. And they're like little ants running back and forth, passing it to everybody. Jesus just keeps breaking bread. 20,000 people, this goes on for hours, Finally, the disciples come back and say, Jesus, everybody's had all they want, they're stuffed. And Jesus said, I never waste anything. Get your baskets and collect them. And the Bible says they collected 12 basketfuls left. How many have ever heard somebody preach it or thought one for each disciple? 12 basketfuls, that sounds really good, right? They didn't get nothing. they didn't deserve it, they didn't give him anything. 12 basketfuls left over, because each disciple had to go fill it up, and I believe they took it to the little boy and said, God always gives back more than you've ever given to him. What's in your house? What's in your hand? What gift, spiritual gift, calling, ability, time, treasure, finances? Are you holding on to so tightly that you're so afraid that if you give it to God, you'll never see it again? It's the difference between the Dead Sea that holds on and the Sea of Galilee with hands wide open. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? Today, this God I've been talking about knows your name, knows your need, knows your situation. He knows everything there is to know. And he's ready to meet you at your point of need. But hear me, he cannot until you say yes. Every head bowed, no one looking around, my first question, you're here today and I know you are. And you're not right with God. You say, Rick, today, I need that kind of a God who loves me so much that I can trust him with everything I have. Rick, today I wanna give my life to Jesus. I wanna come back, I wanna get myself right. You're right here and you say, Rick, that's me. I'm not gonna embarrass you, I just wanna pray with you. You're here today and you say, Rick, that's me. I'm not right with God and today I'm saying yes to him. If that's true. And all of us in this room have said yes to Jesus as our savior, my second question is this. Have you said to Jesus as your Lord? let me give you a definition or a a picture that will determine whether or not he's your Lord or not. If you've ever said no to Jesus, he's not your Lord. Because you can't say no, Lord, you can only say yes, Lord. The very definition of a servant must say yes. And perhaps you're serving him, you're loving him, but There's something in your life that you've held on to and holding back. You've just not been able to let go. And today you say, Rick, I'm opening my hand, representing my life. And I'm saying to God, it's all yours.
0: We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day.